0: Good afternoon, everybody. It is Monday. Wait, I'm going to find this on my computer. I really am. January the 22nd, and it is 19 minutes before 5 p.m. And I'm heading to the gym before heading to vote. And there was a, um, I guess I got an email from somebody the other day saying, you know, what's your opinion on voting and so on. And I've done a whole podcast on voting. But one thing that may be more specific, uh, which this person was asking, was, well, you know, should you go and vote, or should you not go and vote? You know, does it sort of make a difference? Well, obviously, it doesn't make a difference. But you know, what is what is your opinion on it? And my opinion is, you know, whatever you feel is going to make you the most credible in the uh, in the um, eyes and ears of those who are li- who uh, who you're talking with. That's what I would say you should do, right? So I mean, going to vote is not that big a deal. It's a, it's a walk and a you know and a scratch for some idiot. Oh, I I spoil my ballot. Actually, I just go out and sort of say none of these idiots can represent me. And that's mostly because Christina likes to go out and vote and say that she went and voted and spoiled her ballot. It uh, Doesn't really matter much to me, but I enjoy spending time with Christina. So <laughs> off we go. Um, but, you know, as to whether you should or shouldn't vote, uh, obviously don't vote for a major party. I mean, they don't vote for anything like that. Um, uh, you know, spoil your ballot and so on. I think that says something. Um, stay home. Perfectly valid. Stay home and work on a libertarian article or read or become more educated or just kick back and relax. It's going to do a lot more for your personal and <laughs> for social freedom in general than going to vote and so on. So I would uh, work at it from that angle. And if you happen to be among a group of people with whom you know they're going to say well you know did you go and vote right and if you feel like if you say no then they're going to say well then you have no reason to complain right if you're among sort of idiots like that then and you want to sort of talk to them then i would say go vote so you can at least get over that hurdle and if you feel like you can comfortably say to them no i didn't and here's why incredibly sort of can make your case then you know i would say don't bother if you don't want to so uh again it's uh it's really just a matter of the um uh the the choices that you want to make versus the effects that you want to have right uh i also do sort of go and vote because people do hear say in canada well if you don't vote you can't complain and obviously as you know i'm filling up the internet with complaints so so why would i want to deny myself that pleasure there's absolutely no reason so let's continue on with uh, roads, and we'll top off roads with another sort of uh, uh, mistaken bit of economic uh, misinformation that you'll constantly get, which is the conflation of uh, physical force with economic necessity. Um, which was another question that this gentleman who sent me the email had. So with roads. Right, there's tons and tons of different ways to make roads pay. Roads are sort of an essential human service. Uh, the first roads in North America were built by the uh, by private industry. Right, there was a big sort of toll, and you'd drive up to it, and they'd raise the toll uh, gate. They'd raise the toll gate if you paid the toll, and so on. So the you know the the fact is that there's always been roads. They've always been produced by private organisations, and you generally wouldn't get the big sprawling mess of roads that you have uh, at the moment. Uh, unless they were paid for by, you know, trucking companies or, you know, people who wanted long-term hauling of goods or farmers, you know, that kind of people. But, you know, who's to say that that's optimal anyway? When something's free, it's always abused in terms of need and demand is always very high, and we don't know the sweet spot for supply and demand in roads because it's been so long since they've been charged for that, um, you know, who can tell? But for sure, you know, the optimal solution will be far better than the current solution. Um, So that's sort of one answer to have about the roads, right? Now, the other answer, you know, which you can have is, you know, as as I've mentioned before, you know, just use the argument for morality for people who talk about roads, like roads are needed and blah, 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 right? Well, okay, so... uh, you know the problem with with taking the argument from a fact like in other words, how w- you know how would the free market deal with roads and this and that is that you then have to become an expert on everything right i mean you you have to know something about everything which is kind of a drag right running around the library or searching over the internet, trying to figure out you know uh, how would the free market deal with intellectual property rights and, and and how would the free market deal with copywriting over the internet and how would the free market deal with roads and and sewers and, and you know like it' just drive you completely insane right because you simply – it's, it's a fool's game to some degree, and I know this because i play it for many years, so please don't think that I'm calling anybody a fool other than myself for falling into this trap for so many years. But, you know, it doesn't matter because, you know, people don't make their decisions on, um, you know, what's economically efficient, right? I mean, it, it wasn't like they said when they decided to have the government run the roads. It wasn't like anybody said, you know, uh, the problem is that these private sector roads are just so gosh darn inefficient that we really need to transfer them to the state. I mean, that's not. of course, that's not what happened at all. Uh, the state would bully and pressure people to go out of business and then take over the roads as a source of revenue, as an excuse for taxation, right? Everything that the government does is an excuse for taxation, and you know that, because no matter what it does, taxes always go up, right? If if programs succeed, uh, well, theoretically they could, I guess. Well, not really theoretically, but if, even if we can imagine a government program did succeed, well then the budget goes up, right? So, you know, let's say that we can call the moon landing in 1969 a success. Well, the government budget goes up. And then, you know, if the program fails, well, the government budget goes up. I mean, I was at a meeting today uh, talking uh, with the Toronto District School Board, and uh, they were talking about, you know, sort of a general discussion about how to improve schools, and they were talking about the need to maintain them well and have clean facilities and up-to-date equipment and so on. And, you know, I was so close to, I mean, it's sort of pointless because they're all public servants, but I was so close to saying, you know, what you really should have is, you know, the functionality of teachers' review, right? Because what really matters is great teachers, not, you know, do you have a new computer with a bad teacher? But do you have a great teacher, which, of course, you know, would be, you know, they can't affect any of that, right, because of union agreements. All they can do is futz around with the exteriors and the paints and, you know, stupid crap like that. They can't actually deal with the heart of the problem of modern education, which is that the teachers are all half-retarded. Um, sorry, that's not that's not fair. Some of them are completely retarded. Um, but we can save public education for another time. You know, my, my point sort of is that you by using the argument from morality you don't have to become an expert on all these things, right? So then you say to someone, Okay, so um, you know, roads are a necessity and you're saying some people have the right to use violence to achieve the building of roads and some people don't, right? So you got the government, you got everybody else. Okay, well, under what moral law do some people have the right to pull a gun out and stick it in somebody's neck and say, you better give me money so I can build you a road, and other people don't, right? I mean, that's, that's – you don't have to know smack about smack, I guess is what I'm saying, other than the argument for morality. And if the person can't answer the question or they say, well, it's just efficient and this and that, it's like, well, that doesn't matter whether it's efficient or not. What matters is you've got a moral theory advocating the use of violence to achieve a particular end. It doesn't matter whether that violence does or does not achieve that particular end. The problem is that you're advocating violence to begin with. (laughs) So you get out of the argument of of worrying about how can roads be handled by the free sec- free market and what are going to be the effects of collapsing trade barriers to Campuchia. and I mean that's that's like a um, a scavenger hunt that people who oppose you politically will send you on and and you'll have arguments and you'll get to the end of your knowledge and then you'll end up having to get back to them and you'll always be on you're always playing a game a defensive game right the, the whole point of the argument for morality is to get the other jerks to start playing a uh, defensive game, right? So instead of you trying to have to figure out, <laughs> I mean, basically, what when somebody says, well, how would the free market handle this, and how would the free market handle that, and how would free free market handle the other? What they're asking you to do is to be the combined <clears throat> intelligence and self-interest of millions of different people. I mean, it's completely impossible, right? You know, just say, well, h- h- how would you build a, a, a jumbo jet, right? H- how would you drain a swamp? How would you build a space shuttle? Right. How would you uh, how how are you going to invent the successor to the cell phone in terms of got to have electronic devices? You know, they're just going to say, well, I don't know. Right. It's like, well, you're asking me to do all of these things simultaneously to be the complete intelligence of millions of people operating in a free market situation based on their own self-interest and tell me how that would work. Well, I can't. Right. No more than I can uh, act all the roles in a movie and direct it and be the cameraman. I mean, it's just silly. Right. You're asking me to take on all these roles that I can't take on. The real question is, I mean, the, the moral theory that needs to be explained in those situations is, so, basically, some people can use violence to achieve something, and other people can't, right? Because if everyone, if it's if it's moral to use violence to build roads, then everybody should be able to do it, right? I could say to my neighbor, look, I want to walk away up my front lawn, and you better, you know, get to work, or I'm going to, you know, kidnap your children and shoot your dog, uh, and, of course, we don't allow people to use violence for things like that. So, of course, since we're all human beings, you can't carve people up into one sec- section of people and another section of people. But right? you can't just say arbitrarily, well, if you if you call yourself a road inspector, uh, then you have the magical right to use to call the police to use violence to get your roads built. And if you don't have this magical title of road inspector or whatever the hell it's called – then you don't have that right. I mean, you explain to me that moral theory, and I will get behind any state program you want in the world any time. You explain to me why some people can use violence and some people can't, then I'm perfectly willing to accept the state. So, you know, I would personally, I'm obviously leaning a little more towards the argument for morality because I don't have to worry about being an expert on everything and and, uh, basically put the other person on the defensive, right? So they have to, I'm asking them the questions, right? So that's one approach. Another approach that you could take is, you know, say to the person, well, let's say that I was going to pay you $10 million to come up with a great way to have the private sector run the roads... Well, how would you do it? You know, make it kind of like a game and get them into looking for solutions rather than, you know, just fetching and bitching about problems all the time, which is, you know, you're a free market person and everyone's like, ah, oh, the free market can't handle this. Eh, oh, the free market can't handle that. Eh, oh, it's not going to work. Eh, oh, there's going to be violence. Eh, oh, there's going to be civil war. It's like, oh, God, you know, <laughs> like you're a bunch of negative nannies. You know, it's just a bunch of weenie-weenie kind of thinking. You know, just people solve problems every single day, you know, I mean. Uh, So, you know, first of all, don't spend your time with these kinds of low-rent pseudo-intellectuals, but if you have to, put them on the defensive with the argument for morality, and it will be most interesting for you. Um, So let's turn to another issue that this gentleman had regarding the uh, problem of, um, you know, pseudo-compulsion in the economic sphere. And what i mean by that phrase and and sort of what he referred to in his article was he said well he was trying to talk to his dad about you know how roads could be handled (laughs) in a free market and so on i'm sorry i don't mean to laugh i mean i just think it's kind of funny you know (laughs) i mean we have a government about to collapse you know like a sort of a a reversal of krakatoa and bring the entire structure of western society down upon our heads and people are worrying how tolls are going to be paid in 2050 in a private road situation i just think that's kind of funny you know um, but, uh, but nonetheless, you know, I mean, if it, uh, if it uh, floats your boat to talk about these things, then by all means, uh, obviously, enjoy. I mean, it doesn't do any harm, right? So he's chatting with his father about the role of the free market in dealing with road issues. And his sister, I think, was listening in on the conversation and was talking about, you know, well, you know, what about unemployment? My town, in my town, there is a 47% unemployment rate. And so, what are you going to do there's no way people are going to want to support forty seven percent unemployment and this and that and the other and so on and so you know the welfare the charity isn't going to work when there's such a high level of, of unemployment I guess was her sort of phrase well um you know the 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 simple answer sorry the simple question is well how on earth did 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 a town end up with forty seven percent unemployment right i mean it's sort of like saying, you know, when, you, when you've when you already had a heart attack, uh, you don't talk to a nutritionist, right? I mean, you, you talk to someone with a defibrillator. You don't sort of talk talk to a, a nutritionist or, a, you know, go to yoga because those things are all preventative in, in the long term in the past. And by the time you're having the heart attack, it's sort of pointless to say, well, how is nutrition going to help me? It's a little too late, right? So when a town has gotten a 47% unemployment, I mean, it's a crap heap. Right? I mean, it should, by all rational standards, be a ghost town, right? But it's not, because, you know, that's 47% unemployment, which is probably, you know, everybody else is just working for the people who get the welfare checks to supply them with, you know, whatever it is that they need to buy or want to buy. So, you know, you look at these things as a continuum, right? So you say, well, you know, something like this could be an answer. I mean, obviously, you come up with whatever you want, but <laughs> an answer could be uh, to say, well, uh, how did the town end up with 47% unemployment? Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, the the, the factory closed down, and and this and that and the other, right? Okay, well, the factory closed down, and then everybody who had a job at the factory, uh, even if we accept that the factory closed down without any problem with certain government regulation or environmental standards or health and safety OSHA standards or or EPA nonsense or, or high taxes or, you know, any of the crap that the government does, which just kills manufacturing in particular, or unions, of course, let's just say the plant closed down because, you know, some free market thing, you know, it was making doodads and then doodads went seriously out of fashion. So in a doodadless world, we don't need the factory and everybody is thrown out and they're behind. Well, of course, any sane human being would say, okay, well, so the, the town is toast and I've been working for whatever, 10 years at this doodad factory. So I'm going to take my savings and I'm going to go and move to some place where there is a town. right? You know, I'm going to retrain myself or whatever. I might live here while I retrain because it's cheaper because you know housing prices are going to go down once the doodad factory closes. So you know, you sort of take your, your steps logically to, to sort of get yourself into a new position. I've done this a couple of times in my life, and it's, you know, it's a pain in the neck, but, you know, it's kind of fun to start something new. So so that would be sort of the logical thing to do, right? Uh, so your unemployment would go from like, I don't know, 10% or 5% or something to, I don't know, 25% or something like that. Because the doodad factory closed down and then, you know, it would quickly go back down to 5% because people who couldn't get a job would use the savings that they had while they were working, the savings they created while they were working, and just move, right? So it's not a question of, like, uh, the factory has closed down, and I have no equity, and I have no savings, and nobody, no family member is willing to sponsor me to go to another town, and I'm I'm not part of any charitable organization that will give me any help. But, you know, like, I can't hitchhike, and I, I mean, all this kind of stuff, right? I mean, it all just gets very silly when you look at the facts of sort of human risk. These things are sort of silly, right? Um, So... You know, I would say, well, how did the town get there? Well, obviously what happened was um, when the town, um, when the when the doodad factory closed down, uh, then what happened was people got unemployment insurance and then they got welfare and they just kind of malingered in this sort of dead town. Um, and, I mean, I know this because I worked up north when I was in my late teens and early 20s and you've got all these towns up north where there was like a mine 40 years ago or something and everybody's just still hanging out because they're on the pogie, right? They're getting state aid of one kind or another, regional redevelopments, and the doctors are subsidized. they got free health care up here and everything. The roads are subsidized, and like the even silly things like the postage is subsidized, right? I mean, houses cost like 12 bucks up there, but I have to subsidize their postage. I think that's pretty funny. But... Um, So, you know, the fact is that people have made stagnating economic decisions because it's possible to make them, right? So they just sit there and the unemployment just creeps up and up because more and more productive people are leaving town and more and more sort of deadbeats are staying behind. And they have kids. And then when they have the kids, they get child supplements. And then, you know, the standard of living is so low. And what they do is they start to ease into a lifestyle. Because, I mean, if you're living in a dead town where nobody wants to live and you're on welfare. Yeah, it's not too bad, right? I mean, it's not I'm sorry, it's not great, but you know, I'd rather be um, you know, on welfare in Moose Jaw, Alberta than I would be in sort of, you know, downtown Los Angeles, right? Cuz, you know, in Moose Jaw, Alberta, I can at least get an apartment. But, you know, in downtown los angeles like you know i don't even get my own cardboard box so you know that's what happens right So people sort of they let themselves go they just kind of get by on you know odd jobs plus welfare plus some charity plus you know maybe they start a business and get a federal loan or you know and it lasts for a, a year or something like that so they you know they just kind of decay into this economic oblivion because it's, you know, it's a reasonable economic choice, you know, taking away the sort of morality of the stolen money they're paid with and, you know, the sort of you really should try and do something with your brain rather than just let it turn into a cabbage soup. But, you know, from a sort of pure economic calculation standpoint, you know, eh, you can get by. You can you can get done what you need to get done and you can survive and you can raise your kids. and Of course, the government is subsidizing the school uh, pretty much for free. Certainly not like the property taxes are being uh, applied to the cost of schools. And, you know, you've got a hospital probably still and a doctor or something like that, certainly in Canada, maybe in the States. So you've got this kind of decaying but survivable economic life. And, of course, you end up with a town with 47 percent unemployment. But it doesn't just sort of spring out of nowhere. I mean, this is the result of an enormous sequence of choices uh, that people make, make, on, make, sorry, based on the existence of, you know, this sort of blood money of state coercion and, and government programs. So that's sort of one, um, uh, one issue, or sort of one question, right? Um, so of course nobody's going to want to support a town with 47% welfare, right? This is exactly why you don't want welfare because you don't want people sliding into this sickly, anemic, ghost-like, half-lived economic existence where they've been five years without a regular job and ten years since their last training program, and of course they become unemployable, and of course their brains rot in their skulls, and of course they become lazy, and of course they become, you know, kind of dullards, right? I mean, that's exactly why you don't want welfare, right? Because it turns people into turnips. Uh, And again, you know, people are going to email me and say, well, I know people who have won on welfare for like 16 seconds and got themselves a university degree in that time and were great people. Absolutely. Sure. No problem. And some people win the lottery. Right. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't save uh, some money for a rainy day. So don't bother me with your exceptions to the rule, because I know for a fact what happens to these people. I knew them when I worked up north, and uh, I've seen it happen to people who were on welfare uh, when I was growing up. It's just its bad for the brain, right? I mean, it's exactly the same as being a couch potato and what it does to your body, right? I mean, it just turns you into a big bag of liquid goo, and pretty similar to what happens to your brain without any exercise or challenges or creativity. So, yes, when you are in a situation where a town has now got 47% unemployment, you know, that's the result of years of rot that is entirely funded with this coerced taxpayer money through the state. And, of course, it's exactly what the state wants. You know, so fundamentally that's what the bureaucrats want, which is for there to be lots of poor people who are dependent on them so they can continue their careers and get lots of money from the state and, you know, think that there are some sort of higher plane do-gooders that, uh, you know, we all just couldn't get by without. So, that's sort of one approach. Now, another approach is to say, okay, well, how could there conceivably be unemployment when there are people who want to work and things that need to be done? Right? I mean, this, this is a sort of fundamental issue around unemployment, which, you know, we can talk about in more detail another time. But, you know, there's always something that needs to be done. I mean, you look around in your life, You, you mean, your to-do list is ev- is forever, right? I mean... I mean, i I got I to gotta paint my top hallway, right? I've got to paint the underside of my archways. I've got to organize my basement. Um, I have to plant some trees in my backyard. Uh, I have to put up a fence. Uh, I have to, uh, you know, understand how my dehumidifier works. I have to, you know, I mean, there's a, a million things. My wife's list would go on like your brain would explode, <laughs> which is why I <laughs> try not to listen to it too much rather than the stuff that I can do. There's always something that needs to be done. And there are always people willing to work. So there's absolutely no reason for any unemployment whatsoever, except for unemployment by choice or unemployment by sickness or unemployment by other circumstance, like you're in transition from job to job or whatever. So, you know, the real question is, how could there conceivably be unemployment? Right? I mean, the, the town costs like eight bucks a month to live in, if it's if it's that rundown. And... You know, so this is, you know, how much money do you need to live, right? I mean, this this sort of um, trading spouses show that I mentioned earlier with this burnout case of like going to rock concerts, his rent was like hundred and sixty bucks a month for a house. I mean, I don't even want to think <laughs> where he was living. I'm surprised like trains went flying overhead and caked excrement from planes was not dumping in his backyard or something. But you know, this is sort of what it took for him to live where he lived. So, how much work do you really need to do? Well, you know, go mow some lawns, go wash some cars, go uh, clean out people's basements, go, you know, tutor people's kids, go... I mean, there's always work to be done. There's always things that need to be done in human society, and there are always people willing to at least trade service for service, right? You want some ears of corn, then go and help the farmer weed some doodads, back 40 kind of thing. So there's always work that needs to be done. So how is it possible? How is it possible that unemployment could exist for people who want to work, right? That's what I was talking about about two weeks ago with the Great Depression. Well, of course, there's two reasons why, why there's unemployment. Uh, the, the first reason is that people aren't allowed to work for a wage that would be attractive to other people. So, um, you know, as I mentioned before, I took a pay cut uh, to take my current job because I couldn't, uh, simply there was, no, there was no demand for me. Uh, in the market for the amount of money that I used to make. So that's fine. I mean, I really have no fundamental problems with that whatsoever. And I wouldn't uh, have any fundamental problems if it came about that I had to take another pay cut, right? You know, you'd find some way to make it work. And, you know, it's always nice to have the opportunity to have a job. So, you know, people aren't allowed to work because of minimum wage, because of unions, because of regulations, because of minority hiring practices, because, I mean, there's like 8,000, 1,000, regulations that are in the way of people getting a job, right? You, you want to become a plumber? Oh, sorry, maybe you could learn it in a couple of weeks if you're really bright, but I'm afraid you're going to have to apprentice for 92 years to become a plumber. I mean, uh, a guy I drove to the meeting with today was telling me that his son had to apprentice to put granite countertops on. I mean, please. Okay, so they're heavy, right? But other than that, uh, it's really not a big deal to figure out how to put uh, a piece of rock on top of a piece of wood. And, uh, you know, relative to other jobs, you know, like being a surgeon or running a big business or whatever, the idea that you need to apprentice is obviously just silly, right? It's just stupid rules put in place by insecure people who don't want competition from the young and the hungry. So, you know, you've got all that kind of stuff, all these apprenticeship rules and so on. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, people are just barred from working, right? Unemployment is not a natural state of human affairs. It it, it arises because people are not allowed to work. So that's sort of one reason. Um, the other reason, of course, is that they're paid not to work, right? I mean, we all know the problem of welfare, right? Which is you get paid, I don't know, like a thousand bucks a month. And then if you earn 200 bucks a month, lo and behold, you get taxed at 100% and therefore you get 800 bucks a month, right? It's the problem of, the welfare cutoff, right? I mean, at what point does it become beneficial for you to um, stop taking welfare? Well, you pretty much have to have a job that pays you like double what welfare pays you, right? So now you're in a tax bracket and you don't get all the benefits and you don't get the free health care and free dental care or whatever. So, you know, the problem is you're stuck in this economic rut. You're not getting any real training, you're not getting any real e- growth in your career. But then, lo and behold, you're supposed to be able to suddenly vault out of that and get some fantastic job at double or triple the welfare rates, and that's the only thing that makes it worth your while. Well, it's not going to happen, right? This is how bureaucrats trap people in the welfare state, right? That's sort of what their their job is, right? <laughs> to, to keep you trapped in that, right? So, you know, that's that's the, the second major reason is, you know, people have a negative th- incentive to work that they'll get thrown in jail if they try and be a granite countertop installer without permission from the local guild or union or whatever, or the minimum wage is is such that they simply you know can't um, uh, that they can't uh you know just go out and get a job for four bucks an hour or three bucks an hour or whatever which may be perfectly fine relative to their um, the cost of living right and the other of course is that they're paid not to work and the incentive to work you know gets smaller and smaller right so, I mean, that that's what causes unemployment. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever for unemployment. I mean, I remember one summer, gosh, I, I graduated from my undergraduate degree. Oh, gosh, 91, 92, something like that. Oh, there was just a terrible recession. And this is before I'd sort of moved into, you know, white-collar office work. And I tried to get waitering jobs. I, I tried to get, um, uh, I even tried to get office jobs. I tried to get all this kind of stuff. And boy, there was just nothing. I couldn't get anything. So what did I do? Well, I um, sort of went off the grid, right? I mean, I got jobs, paid cash. And, you know, to our friends in the IRS, of course, I did pay uh, all the taxes you can imagine on this money, just as I did when I was a waiter. But uh, so I sort of went off the grid, right? I, I worked cash jobs. I did weeding of gardens. I actually spent two weeks taking somebody's grandmother around town because they didn't have any time to spend with her. Um, I just did you know a- anything you can think of right I mean, and I ended up getting a little bit of a better job later on that summer, but you know that was pretty desperate times right i mean i wasn 't desperate because you know I had still had some money, and I could get to uh, um, i knew it was going to sort of pass, but uh it was a, a tough time to be looking for work and uh a lot of pounding the pavement a lot of you know a lot of sleazy people out there offering you work, which is just nonsense right, like hundred percent commission on stuff that 'll never sell or whatever right. And so, you know, but I mean, if I hadn't been able to go off the grid, then I simply would have remained unemployed, right? So if I hadn't decided to work for cash or work for work in kind or whatever, then I simply would have gone off the grid and been unable to work. I would have uh, been unable to work. So, you know, people will do whatever it takes, right? I mean, to get a job, to do whatever, right? You'll you'll do what it takes. And if people aren't working, it's because either they're not allowed to or they're paid uh, to not work. So that's sort of another example, right, that you say, well you know, we need welfare because unemployment rate is at 47%, you know, without realizing that you've completely reversed the cause and effect, right? Unemployment rate is at 47% because there is such a thing as welfare, unemployment insurance and subsidies and road subsidies and and all the subsidies that go out to small communities and subsidies for farms. And I mean, it all just completely distorts people's decision making to the point where, you know, staying in a town with 47% unemployment Uh, You know, seems like an economically viable thing to do. And, you know, the only consequence, of course, is that you become completely addicted to state power. Right. I mean, that's that's the main reason that uh, the government wants this kind of stuff. Right. Again, I'm not saying it's a whiteboarded and all planned out in some mysterious and some nefarious mustachio twirling kind of way. But, you know, uh, human beings are very good at exercising power over other human beings. It's been a perfectly viable strategy from an amoral standpoint for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. So it's not like we've lost that, that, uh, that habit or that ability. So, you know, the, the, what the government does, I mean, the kings always want the people to be dependent on them, right? The rulers always want people to be dependent on them. That way they always have the willing, cheering crowd for, you know, the exercise of state power and so you know what's happened to this town of 47 percent unemployment is the moment you start to talk about freedom these people all get up in arms because they've let themselves waste away to the point where they're you know pretty much unemployable without a huge amount of intellectual and emotional effort right i mean they've kind of pissed away a decade of their life and and you know that's pretty bad right i mean you're not going to feel real good about that if you sort of have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, well, I kind of been a potato for um, a certain amount of time and... There's going to be a lot of hostility and fear and anger. And, I mean, you know, the moment you sort of say to somebody who's parasitical, you've got to stand on your own two feet, well, they don't tend to like you very much, you know, (laughs) to use a very technical sociological approach. They're going to get kind of mad. They're going to be kind of cheesed off. They're going to be aggressive. And, you know, that's exactly what the government wants, right? They They want society to be this, like, minefield of... Hostility towards any limitation of state power, and the best way to do that is to make people dependent. Of course, people with children, uh, people who are sick, people who are old. I mean, n- nobody really enjoys picking up these people and saying, "Look, you—you kind you of have a moral problem with the way that you're approaching your own sustainment, um, because you know you're a monster and you know, a bad guy or whatever." Right? So, so you know, to look at something like unemployment in this situation is. Um, you know, to, to you have to really sort of look at the history, right? You don't just sort of take a snapshot and say, ah, well, you know, here's where we are, right? I've thrown myself off a cliff, and now uh, how am I going to be saved? Well, you know, what you want to do is sort of figure out how... Um, you end up throwing yourself off a cliff, right? You can't jump out of a plane and then say you want insurance. I mean, you have to look at the progress of things. You can't just look at a snapshot and say, well, how would this be dealt with, right? You don't do, as I said before, you don't go to a nutritionist and say, how do you deal with a heart attack, right? You say, well, because the nutritionist is going to say, well, by the time it gets to a heart attack, you know, it's kind of past my my capacity to fix, right? So, you know, the the free market can fix this town, right? It's just not going to be a town anymore or if it is, you know, people are going to be, um, it's going to be a sort of closed economy, like not a whole lot coming in and coming out because people aren't really going to want to drive to that town and the cost base is going to be different and the income is going to be different and the cost of living is going to be different. So it's certainly not going to look anything like it did before. And of course, people's social lives are going to get messed up because, you know, people are going to leave, the sort of deadbeats are going to wake up and sort of come back to life. And those who don't are going to feel even worse and you know there's lots of complicated sociological stuff that's going to go on but the basic fact of the matter is the free market can solve anything right? it seems free market will solve this the, the problem of this town and the high unemployment very easily right it'll just give provide jobs elsewhere it'll provide moving incentives pe- to people who are willing to work right you open up a factory 50 miles away you can't get anyone to work you realize this is town of underutilized people you'll pay for a bus for to the, bring them in you might bus them back and forth if you want It's always ways to make things work in the free market. If it's remotely profitable for someone, you know, it's going to happen. So don't worry about that. The free market will find some use for these people or they'll find uses for themselves if they wake up and start to get their energies going again. Uh, That's really not an issue at all. And, of course, they're going to do it kicking and screaming, right? I mean, when you have not used your limb for a week or two if you've been in hospital, when you have to go to rehab to get it moving again, yeah, it's going to hurt like hell. Right. But, you know, you still got, you still got to do it. Right. I mean, it's not that much fun to get your teeth drilled, but you got to do it. So, you know, that's sort of my approach to this issue around, um, you know, unemployment and the situation of, of the free market uh, versus, you know, 47 percent unemployment in a town that's totally stagnated, which is, you know, look at it in the long view. You can't just sort of take a snapshot and say, ah, you know, you can't have a, you can't get rid of the welfare state because of this. You know, this only exists because of the welfare state. And it's a lot kinder to never let people to get into that situation than it is to continue to pay for them when they're already there. And that's really the approach that I've always tried to take. Thanks so much for listening as always. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.